We're excited to share this podcast in partnership with the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists as part of the new video and audio streaming platform, the CRNA Knowledge Network. For currently active members of the ANA, you can earn free Class A continuing education credits with this podcast. Yes, you heard it right. It is free. Visit aanackn.com and log in with your AANA user ID and password to access the audio sessions. Sharon and I here at Beyond the Mask, we're happy to be part of this initiative and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Jeremy. How are you? I'm good. I am uh, sequestered like everyone else right now. So uh, we're actually. I know. I've never seen your house before. You've been to my house before. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Yes, you have. I have not. No, I have not. Really? No. Whenever every party. Remember when Pierce uh, broke the chair out here on my porch? Like I wasn't there. Oh, I thought you were here. Huh. No, I've never uh, been there. Well, Pierce has DJed a couple parties at your house, but yeah. I was gone. Hmm. I did not know that. Well, interesting. Well, yes, yeah, so we are coming at you live from our respective residences, trying to be socially distanced. And uh, hopefully this thing will be over sooner rather than later and we can be back together again. I know. I'm ready to get back in the studio. And who would have thought that? I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be ready to get back to work, too. As, uh, as a lot of oh, are. my God. And who would think that you would say that either? Oh, my gosh. I so miss work. Strange world. But, you know, it, it seems to be that we're getting a little bit better. In fact, what I'm hearing from a lot of folks is within the next month, we're going to start to see pockets of elective surgeries coming back on and that's i think that's good news for everybody moving forward here mm-hmm. but we have a wonderful guest in the house with us today miss julie linton julie welcome thanks thank y'all for having me how are things up in west virginia things are good similar as everywhere else we're all just snuggled up in our homes or uh covered head to toe in the hospitals trying to do the best we can yep Yeah. And, you know, I think we all appreciate what most of the CRNAs out there are going through right now. And, you know, again, a strange, a strange new world. But Julie, you have been very active from the start of your career as a nurse anesthetist. And right now you're president of the West Virginia Association. 
And you also own your own company, 1099 Shenandoah Anesthesia. So why don't you give us a little bit more background about you? And of course, your topic today is going to be leading right into that, which is leading from the start, lessons learned from a state presidency early in my career. So we'll let you talk a little bit about you. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you guys again for having me. Yes. Yeah, so have been president of West Virginia's association. Um, my term started in August. It's been an eventful year for a lot of reasons, but I've only been a CRNA for four years. Uh, and so it's been a quick journey. It's been a really fun journey. And so there have definitely been a lot of lessons learned along the way. A little other few things about me. I live in Martinsburg, West Virginia with my son, and we have an adorable golden retriever who is really enjoying everyone being stuck at home with them. He's getting, <laughs> getting lots and lots of walks and lots of belly rubs. And I grew up on my family's dairy farm. And so we all still, we don't milk cows anymore, but we all still kind of live here close by. So we are still kind of seeing my parents off and on. And my son has 4-H animals that he's over there taking care of. So we thankfully have some stuff to keep us occupied during the quarantine. That's so funny, Joy, because <laughs> looking at you, I would not see you as a farm girl. I just really would not. <laughs> Can you, can you get milk out of a cow, Julie? I've tried. Yeah, I can. <laughs> and I can teach you. Oh, my God. Well, I think you should bring a cow to the next West Virginia meeting and you make it uh, like a game. Who can get yes. Yeah, yes. That sounds like a fun pack fundraiser. I had to teach. Um, <laughs> I had to teach a minor league, uh, two minor league baseball teams how to milk cows. So it was an event during Dairy Month. The, it was when they were the Charleston Alley Cats. They brought cows onto the field, and the teams had to milk the cows, and it was a competition. And so I had to teach uh, these guys how to milk a cow, and there's like a, a whole like cut off and squeeze kind of process that I had to demonstrate for them. It was, it was. Oh my God. I, I think that's a pack uh-huh. event in the making. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, and Julie, I love how you did your hands up there and did the yes. whole thing. I mean, yeah, you know, she's got it down. Can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, well, Julie tell you, you know, obviously you've done a lot in your short career, but why is this so important? I mean, you you're part of the demographic that you know has the lowest membership in the ANA currently. And, and if you'll just talk about why this is important and what made you start to get involved at you know such a, a young age in the industry? Well, you know, one of the things for me is I like to know the why behind decisions. And I think that's one of the benefits of getting involved in any capacity. And I'm speaking right now as a state president, but there have been other roles along the way. And the nice thing about being involved, if it's as a committee member, as a board member, if it's uh, within your hospital administration or decision making there, is you get to understand the why behind the decisions. And I think that that's really helpful because, you know, we have folks that get upset with organizations because of the decisions that are made. And generally, if you just take some time and explain the why and the how behind how we got to that decision, folks tend to understand. And so that was really what 
got me pulled in initially was wanting to kind of know that why and how. And so I started out as the class rep for my anesthesia class um, and worked as the liaison between our professors and, and my fellow students. And so that's kind of what started in the anesthesia part of my life, the leadership roles. Now, Julie, now that you're in a leadership position, do you think that there's a disconnect between CRNAs and leadership and those who are not? Yeah, and that definitely. And and I don't say that in in a malicious way or uh, the the people in charge don't know what's happening in real life sort of way. What I mean is what I alluded to. You know, there's a really important leadership role in that those of us who are involved know more about why those decisions are made than the CRNAs who aren't involved. There has not been a single day of my career as a CRNA that hasn't involved something WVANA or ANA related. There just hasn't. It's always been a part of my life as a CRNA. But there are nurse anesthetists who have never had a day of their life that's involved anything that had to do with their state association or their national association. And that's fine too. We you know, need people who are serving and we need people giving anesthesia. But what I know and what they know about how decisions are made is very different. And so as leaders, I think we need to keep that in mind because when people have questions, when, when members question what we do, I think we have to go back to the beginning and say, wait a second, let me explain to you how we got here to this decision and why we got here. Because, you know, I promise you, no matter what you think, your state association and your national association genuinely do have your best interest at heart. And we really are trying to make the best decisions we can. And sometimes we have information that you don't have. Sometimes we're looking at a at an issue differently than you are. And maybe we need to be looking at it the way that a CRNA who's never been involved in their state association is looking at it. We need your perspective. And so when you have those conversations, I think all of those parts have to come into it that I have this knowledge base and you have this knowledge base. And so let's make sure we both know all of the things that the other person knows, and then we can talk about this issue. What I'm hearing you saying is, that the board has a strategic view at a 30,000 foot level of everything that's going on. A lot of times CRNAs, and I mean, all of us can get myopic and we think that our issue is the only issue. We've been having some uh, issues in North Carolina with a few CRNAs as of late, who think that one issue that the board should be paying attention to is the only issue, Mm -hmm. whereas most boards have multiple issues. And if I can tag on to something else that you talked about, you know, any decision you make right now as your state president will affect you after you are president. If you make a decision about the global community within your state, it will affect you whenever you're through. And sometimes I think that CRNAs who are not in leadership forget that piece, Mm -hmm. that whatever decision you make 
will affect you ultimately. Yeah. I, and, That's true. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a CRNA working here too. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make the best decisions for my job as well because we all do the same job. Hey, right? Julie, Julie, you know what I find though too is there are different types of CRNAs as you've pointed out. I mean, there's that CRNA that wants to go to the hospital. They want to park in their same spot every day. They want to be home you know, by 3.30, 3.45, they get off at 3, and they don't want anything else to do with the industry. They want to live their life, and that's it. And I've said this for years. Sharon's heard me say it. I've talked to Randy about it. I think that as an industry, CRNAs have not had the picture painted to them properly. And what I mean by that, and again, being the finance guy that I am, I think money is the great equalizer in this. I think that the ASA has done a fabulous job in marketing to their membership, which is why they are more active than most of CRNAs. And they've said, hey, these mean nurses, they're bad people. They want to take your job. You went to medical school. You spent this much time in school. You came out with $500,000 in debt. Now, these, these CRNAs, these nurses, they want to take your job. And I think what we're seeing right now in the middle of this COVID epidemic, and I mean, one of the things that I find in our practice and that I hear from CRNAs all over the country right now is I'm not working. You know, I have no income coming in. How am I going to pay my bills? I mean, one to me that is symbolizing a bigger problem there, but it's true. So again, I've talked to Randy about this. I think the ANA needs to somehow tactfully paint that picture to the average CRNA because when it boils down to it, the ANA is there to protect patients and to protect your earning ability. And I think if it was positioned that way to your average CRNA, they might not be a Julie Linton or a Sharon Pierce, but they wouldn't mind paying their dues. They wouldn't mind helping out sometime because they recognize that my earning ability, the, the thing that keeps me afloat, that pays my bills, that gives me the trips I want to go on, all these things that I want to do because I don't want to be involved in the political side, I'm glad Julie and Sharon are there and they're taking care of me and I want to give an extra $1,000 this year. That's always been my viewpoint. I'd love to get your view on that as well. Yeah, you know, <laughs> what I learned during our legislative session this year is that nothing riles up CRNAs more than two letters put together, and that's AA. The second that we had a whiff of some AA legislation come down the pipe, we heard from a lot of people. And I'm, I'm glad. I mean, we had CRNAs in our state get mobilized like never before. But let's take your example there, talking about protecting our jobs, making sure that we're earning what we should be earning, and that CRNAs are at the forefront of having what's best for us professionally and financially in our jobs. Let's look at just our jobs. You know, those jobs are protected. Those jobs are what they are because of the legislation that's written in your state's code. And so when you want things like supervision removed and when you want us to fight off AA battles, that takes, I'm just going to lay out three really important things. That takes our association management company. 
because they have to send out all the emails and they have to get in touch with you and they have to help us keep in contact with you. That takes our regular everyday lobbyist as well as an additional lobbying team because we need people on the ground in the state capitol constantly while this is going on so we know what's happening. And then it takes our PR team. CRNAs that are saying, you know, we're not in the news enough and we need more PR, that takes a PR firm. And all three of those, those entities are not part of our volunteer state board that takes money. That money comes from your state and national dues. You can have as much of a problem with the AANA as you want to have. Fine. I'll listen to what you have to say about the state and national association. I really will. But you cannot want removal of supervision and you cannot want us to defend our states against AA legislation and then not pay your dues. Someone has to do that work. And I'm a full-time CRNA and so are you. <laughs> so we need a lobbyist. We need a PR team. We need staff. And that staff gets paid from dues money. I'm not holding a bake sale to pay our lobbyists to fend off AA legislation. So, you know, I know that there are a lot of reasons why people have issues with their organizations. And I get that. And I think there's a lot of discussions to be had. But if you like working as a CRNA and you don't want an AA to take your job and you want to work at the full scope of your practice, then you have to pay your dues so that we can get people to do those things. That, so what, that's the bottom line. So what do you think about pe people who are not members then? You know, you're getting a free ride. I mean, it's as simple as that, because when supervision is removed in West Virginia, it's removed for everybody. I busted my butt and so did a lot of people on our committees and our board this legislative session to try to get supervision removed. And we did it for every single CRNA in the state of West Virginia, not just the one who pay dues. Mm -hmm. So if you're not paying your dues, when these big legislative wins happen, you're getting a free ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? There's just some people out there that want to be like that. And, I, you know, we, we all know that. But I think your average CRNA in the hospital working, one, what I always hear is I don't want to be involved in the, the political side of this. Or, you know, have you seen this on that Facebook group? And this is the reason I don't get involved. And, the, you know, all these reasons. But I think, again, we have to boil it down to the individual person. How does this affect me? And Julie, I think you spoke to it very clearly right there. I think we need to do a better job of getting that word out to not only the few hundred CRNAs that are probably involved in most states, but the other thousands of CRNAs who say those things like, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to have the political side of this. I don't like the way CRNAs treat each other. I don't like the ANA. I don't like this. But I certainly like paying my bills and taking my trips and making sure that I've got money in the bank. And I think that is the story that needs to be told. Um, yeah. And look, I don't say it that way to be unkind, but it is frustrating. I don't need everybody to want to serve on our board. That's not everyone's gift. That's not their talent. I know it's mine. I know yep. that's something that I can do to help contribute. But you have to, you have to at the very, that, that's baseline. You have to pay your dues. And those things are why. And like you said, I think if people understood that piece of it, let's just look at your job every day. And do you want an AA to take your job or not? That, that is worth paying your dues. Yeah. Right. Well, I've always said, whenever we try and define apathy, if you are paying 
paying your dues, you are not apathetic. You are doing something. And I'm okay with that. Because again, there are some people who want nothing to do with the political side of it. And some of us enjoy all of it. And let us do it, but give us the means to be able to do it. So you're exactly right about that. Now, let's back it up just a little bit. How were you able to get involved in leadership as early as you did, Julie? And what got you started down that path? I'm hoping somebody influenced you somewhere. <laughs> so it started with I became my class rep, but really, and I've probably told you this story, Sharon, but I don't know if I have or not. I went to Pennsylvania's fall meeting as a junior student, and I sat there listening to lectures, and the president of the A&A got up to speak, and it was Sharon. Oh, my God. And, no, I don't know this story. Um, and, I mean, you're, you're such a dynamic speaker, and I, public speaking has always been a part of my life. I grew up in 4-H and FFA. It's just something I've always done, something I've always enjoyed, and I sat there and thought, really like to do that someday. And so I was really fortunate that the assistant program director, I went to York College of Pennsylvania, the assistant program director then, he's the program director now, Jason Lowe, really saw it in me and encouraged me to get involved in any way I could. And the other professors let me do whatever I, I really wanted to. And so that little spark, I just started asking how I could help. I was a student in Pennsylvania. So Panna, how can I help you? What can I do? Do you want me to man a table to sell raffle tickets for this iPad? Sure. I'll sit there and do it. Our alumni foundation at my school. How can I get involved? What can I do to help? Uh, And then the WVANA. What can I do? How can I help? I took advantage of every opportunity I could. And sometimes I failed. I applied to be the student rep to the communications committee and I didn't get it. And then I took every introduction anyone would give me. So at my first mid-year, so this was the mid-year following that fall meeting, Sharon, I think I was introduced to you so many times, you probably thought I was a stalker. (laughs) Um, But hey, if somebody was going to introduce me to the president of the ANA, I was going to let them. And then I made sure I said hello and introduced myself to anybody that somebody else wasn't going to introduce me to. Um, And that's the advantage of being a student. You can shamelessly walk up to anybody in leadership in this organization and introduce yourself. And chances are they're going to stand there and talk to you. And then there's a flip side of that. For those of us, once you get into leadership, you have to make time to have those conversations. And so then that's how I I got involved all the way around. That first mid-year, I didn't know anybody from West Virginia. So I sought out the president. Uh, It was Lee Bias at the time. Mm -hmm. Introduced myself. I let them know that just on my own, I had been emailing Senator Manchin's office about full practice authority in the VA. And I wanted to go on their Hill visit with them. And they let me go. And not only did they let me go, they let me speak to the VA legislative aide during the meeting and talk about full practice authority in the VA. So it really took putting myself out there, taking every opportunity I could, and also really taking the time to listen to other people and learn from the leaders around me. Look, I have been stupidly blessed with the people that have been put along my path. And Sharon, you are one of them the people that I've gotten to sit back and learn from. So you have to make sure that as mentors are brought into your life, you are really listening and learning from them. 
and developing your own way of leading and your own ideas, but learning from those people that have gone before you. Well, Julie, we know stars when we see them and we spotted you very, very early. (laughs) Well, thank you, Sharon. (laughs) Julie, what's it like, I mean, for folks that have never done it, serving on a state association committee or the state association board, kind of paint a picture for our listeners. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of that is going to depend on what the goals and objectives are of your board or even the committee that you're serving on. And and I add committees into that because our committees at the state level do a ton of work. Look, our GRC chair and our PR chair this year, those two guys worked hand in hand with me. So they were as important as anybody this year. Um, So the work depends on, on what you're being asked to do, you know. As a board member and as a committee member, there's some basic things that you need to expect yourself to be doing. Number one is to show up to the board meetings or call in if they're phone calls. You're on a board, you're on a committee, you make it to all the meetings. Check your emails and answer them. That's part of your job. You are on that committee or you're on that board because your voice, your opinion matters. And so when emails and questions are going out, They're going out because you're supposed to answer them and we want to know. Um, Share your state social media posts and then get to know your legislators. So, you know, people are, I think, worried about joining a committee or a board. They're worried about the work. They're worried they don't know enough or they're not smart enough. We really want your opinion, right? That's what we've been talking about a lot this whole time is we all have a knowledge base that we're bringing to the table. We all have something to share. And as a board member, that's what we want from you. We want your input. I want your input to be different than my input. I want ideas and thoughts that are different than mine. Um, and that's really what you're being asked to do as a board member. And, you know, you bring up something very good. That's why we will want the demographic that you are in and the demographic that we are losing because your perception of the world is different. I've always said that I'm not really overly concerned in a bad way about millennials leading us because millennials have no fear. And I think that's what our profession needs. On lobby days, you'll have the older CRNAs who are reticent because I've never done this before and I'm not sure I'll do it right. Even though CRNAs are the smartest people I know, I don't know why they question their intelligence just because it's something outside of the anesthesia arena. But these millennials, they're charging in. I mean, and so that's why we need more people like you in this demographic to join the association? Do you have any thoughts around that and what we can do as an association, as a group to get them more involved? You know, I think the ideas of things like micro-volunteerism are really essential and really great ways to get people involved. You know, committee work, helping out on committees is, it's fun work. There's plenty of committees for everybody. So something that you're interested in probably exists. And especially when we're talking about that millennial generation, and I'm kind of on the the high end of it. I certainly don't have all the personality characteristics of of a millennial. But, you know, when we're talking about that. You know, that's because you can milk a cow. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Um, 
you know, when we're talking about that group, especially, you know, public relations and social media and communications, that's where those brilliant young minds really come into play. Because, you know, there are certainly a lot of us who can't quite mesh with the latest technology and things like that. And and so we need those folks. And it's something that's easy. It's something that's fun. There is a way to jump in and and get involved if that's what you want to do. And again, it can be micro volunteerism things, you know, hey, we just need somebody to walk around and and help sell these raffle tickets or help get some pack donations or whatever it may be, you know. So I think we need to make those opportunities available. And I think we also need to make sure that we're you know, when you talk about how do we get people brought in, you know, it starts, I am convinced at the student level, uh, our schools have got to be making sure that students are graduating, knowing the importance of making their voice be heard and sharing their talents and their skills with their state association, with their hospital management, whatever it is. And so I think that's a place where it starts. I agree. So let's go back to your presidency this year. What has your typical day been like during your pregnant uh, pregnancy? Pregnancy. Whoa, <laughs> don't, wait a don't, minute. I hope that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how in it. Your presidency that is a, Sharon, is that a Freudian slip there? What's going on here? Um, <laughs> that's well, hilarious. My parents listen to this too. <laughs> yeah, don't t- don't tell us about how that happened. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm too young. Uh-huh. If somebody is getting pregnant during their presidency, good for them. You want to know how, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm assuming your presidency has been busy. So tell us about a typical day during your presidency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so normal days. Uh, and this is outside of the legislative session because life is just bizarre when you're in session, but normal times. I check my email, honestly, about every hour or so in between cases as much as I can, because everything happens by email um, and you have to be available all the time. Uh, And so I check my email really frequently. And when I'm having a conversation, then it's as often as I can. And then I dedicate about an hour a day to WVANA work, again, depending on what's going on. And a lot of the work that we used to do, even five or 10 years ago, has now been taken over by our, our association management company. And they're just a, a huge blessing. They do all the day-to-day work. So that's what a normal time is like. It's following up on emails. It's keeping communication open with CRNAs that I've made contact with. It's checking in with our lobbyists, checking in with our PR team, planning ahead for what's coming. So just kind of going with the flow of whatever's happening at that time. During the legislative session, and then most recently with the executive orders coming out during all the states of emergency, it's nonstop. It really is. And I don't say that to scare anybody away, but I I say it to help prepare them. I checked my email as often as I possibly could because it was possible that within two minutes, a new important email would come through. You have to make sure you have someone checking for new bills or amendments, and that's where your lobbying team comes in uh, to play. You will be having constant dialogue with your team. So that's your GRC chair, your PR firm and your PR chair, your lobbying team, and then 
then also your um, executive director, your association management company, and then whatever members of your board. So I made sure that our president-elect was part of every single conversation that was being had because August 1st, this is her mess. So she needs to know what happened this year so she's prepared for next year. If you're doing things right, you're going to be getting a lot of messages from members. And that's part of making yourself available. I made sure that my email, my cell phone number go out on every communication that we send out. And I made myself readily available on Facebook as much as I could. And the benefit of that was going back to that. I know some stuff that other people don't. And I was able to educate CRNAs on this is what's happening right now. This is what we need you to do. Because look, during the legislative session, it changes from minute to minute what you're asking for. And so you have to you have to have that minute to minute communication with people to say, hey, I know I ask you to just email your delegate about this, but this is what we need you to do instead. And it was it was nonstop. And again, I say that not to scare anyone, but there does need to be some prep for that. You know, I just re-listened to your podcast with the Fab Four. And, uh, you know, Tracy Castleman talked about missing senior night for her son's football team. You know, there is a huge blessing to being involved and being a part of this. But my family needed to know, like, this is what life is going to look like for the next two months. It's going to be bananas. And I actually started dating someone like right before our legislative session started. And it was like, oh, bud, hang on, because this is going to get rough, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. God bless them. And so you have to make sure that people in your life are prepared for this is what this is going to be like. And you also have to, you know, I would set aside a half hour, 45 minutes every night to make sure I was having dinner with my son and my team knew I'm not going to answer emails for the next 45 minutes. Call me if something major happens. This is my time with Ryan. So that's what a crazy time looks like. But for the most part, it's just keeping in contact with folks throughout the day and, you know, doing the work throughout the day as it comes through. Well, your son is like you. He's a joiner. I remember him sitting behind the podium with Pierce, uh, helping him DJ at one of the meetings. So he's got your genetic code in there to be a joiner. He was right up there. (laughs) (laughs) Anything with music. He'll jump in with anything with music. (laughs) Hey, Julie, what's been your favorite thing you've done in a leadership role thus far? So... Every year since I became a CRNA, so starting in 2017, at mid-year assembly, I've gotten to lead the SRNA Unplugged session. And so this is a session, last year we opened it up and had uh, newer CRNAs in the session as well, but it's usually dedicated just for students. And it's just all about mid-year assembly, kind of the nuts and bolts, what's it about. And then we have a panel of experts that talk about what's the role of a a federal political director in FPD. What's it like being in state leadership and coming to mid-year? We always have a member or two of the DC team there to answer questions. We make sure they have a good understanding of what the CRNA PAC is and why it's important. And I'll tell you, my dream in life is to have a future A and a president get up and say that they're there because of SRNA unplugged at MYA. I'll be able to retire <laughs> at that point, knowing that something so precious to me made a difference in a future leader's life. That whole meeting is so special. And once you get that feeling about mid-year, you just want to infect everyone else with it. Uh, you, you just, I mean, you know, I call mid-year Christmas at Disney. Uh, it's where we should be right now. You know, it's the greatest, the best time of the year, the greatest place on earth. And so getting to share my passion and love of this 
meeting that's made such a difference in my life and such a difference in the lives of a lot of leaders in our profession, get to share that with students is just has been the greatest honor of my entire professional career. I've always said, if you only had one meeting you could go to, go to mid-year. And I mean, my heart was broken that we had to cancel it this year because most of the times I don't even need a returning flight. I can fly home with my own arms. I'm so excited and jacked up after I leave that meeting. So I hear you. You know, we also ask you, tell something interesting about you and what you put down on our planning sheet. I absolutely loved it. Actually, I wrote on here if you can see it. I love this. So why don't you share it with our audience? Hey, hey Sharon, okay. you know what's really funny about that? Is Did you write it I wrote it the too? same thing on my planning oh. list about... <laughs> well, thank goodness. That is... <laughs> That is not unusual for you and I to do that, Jeremy. We both will be writing questions in the studio as we're going through these interviews. And I'll turn my paper around and he'll turn his around and it'll say exactly the same thing. So I'm not surprised, Jeremy. So tell the audience what we are are loving. All right. So I, I told you, introducing myself, that I grew up on my family's dairy farm. And it's my dad, his brothers, my cousins. Uh, so I, I want to paint an accurate picture because I did not wake up and milk cows every morning of my life. I did some mornings, but not every morning. Um, but Hey, Julie, uh, you are a millennial, so we get that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I don't want any bad letters. That was a joke. Sorry. Um, but part of growing up in that world led me to be the West Virginia Dairy Princess. And being a dairy princess is a big deal. And my friends in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania will agree with that. So really what I was, was an ambassador for the dairy industry in West Virginia. And if you want to really know where learning how to be an advocate and getting up and speaking about something I believe in and influencing people came from, that's it. This was lesson one in what I'm doing now. And the best example of that, it was actually near the end of my reign as the Dairy Princess. We were at an event at the West Virginia State Fair and my seat happened to be kind of across a little aisle from the governor of West Virginia, Bob Wise at the time. And there was an important piece of legislation in front of the United States Senate called the Southern Dairy Compact. And we really wanted him to let our senators know that he supported the dairy farmers in West Virginia and he supported this piece of legislation. So there at the state fair watching the horse cart races, I scooted my little chair right up next to Governor Wise and introduced myself to him and said, I'd really like to talk to you about the Southern Dairy Compact. And we sat there and chit-chatted for a little while. And then uh, later when the event was over and we were walking out, the commissioner of agriculture, who was Gus Douglas at the time, came up and uh, the three of us had a conversation about the Southern Dairy Compact. And so it was the beginning of my role as an advocate, uh, the beginning of having that little political bug and really a, a great platform to learn from. So do you still have your tiara? Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. I actually, I just packed up my house. I'm going to be moving soon. But if I hadn't packed my house up, my sash would have been on uh, it. Very nice. <laughs> Only because uh, we still have the West Virginia Dairy Princess, and I had to take it to a, a seamstress to have her make more for future dairy princesses. I do not keep my my crowns and sashes on just. <laughs> <laughs> 
play, I promise. Hey, well, at least you don't have little girls. My girls played with my tiaras and broke some of my oh. old tiaras. Oh. Wow. Well, we have we have learned a lot about you today, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, this is this has been great. I think this is great information that our listeners can, can obviously use. And Julie, we want to thank you for being on with us today. Thank you all so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Sharon. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here. We will. I just have one shameless plug. Whenever you're AANA president, I want to sit at your table at the oh, banquet. Oh, word. <laughs> Yeah. So do you, when that yes, no, uh, no, it is. Sweet. All right. Question it is sweet. Uh, this just popped in my head. And I don't know the answer. Has there been a West Virginia A&A president? No, sir. Um, Linda Williams had been in Colorado when she was AANA president. She lives in, in West Virginia now and she's a West Virginia girl. But I think had been in Colorado. So. Uh, not well. You rattled, Julie. You rattled that off like really quickly. So I have a feeling that Sharon's not far off in this. Just to, well, exactly. Yeah. But Wanda Wilson was a West Virginia girl too. But she did not rise up from West Virginia. She was in Ohio whenever yeah. she yeah. was president. But she was a West Virginia girl too. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, of course, Char- Charles Mance. And was also from West hey, Virginia. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we could have left that out. He was born there. Than bad. Oh well, I, I think that's a wrap. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show, want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review, but only if it's positive. That's right. There's enough negativity out there. We want to thank you for being here. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com.
www.cdcrossroads.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.